0: Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. I am Corbin, and today we'll be reading from Nehemiah 6, uh, verse 15 and 16. The wall was completed in 52 days, on the 25th day of the month Elul. When all our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated and lost their confidence, for they had realized that the task had been accomplished by our God. This is the reading of the word. You may sit. I invite you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. Before we dive in, I'd like to start with a word of prayer and ask the Lord again to be with us, to teach us, uh, to show us what he has to show us in, in his word. So Father, we ask that now. <clears throat> we ask that, um, we acknowledge Lord that you are holy as we, just, as we just sang. You are holy, you are high, you are lifted up. You are above all things. You are in and through all things. You are here this morning. Father, you were here before we got here. Father, we thank you that you brought us here. You woke us up this morning. God, we we are um, in awe that as holy as you are, you would still love us. Jesus, we thank you for your life, we thank you for your death. On the cross, we thank you for your resurrection from the dead. Lord, we thank you that we are now in you. And when we are in you, we have nothing to fear. Death does not have the final word. Sin does not have the final word. Lord, you have the final word. Thank you so much that that word is alive. It is living. It is active. It became flesh. It dwelt among us. And it teaches us still today. We ask, Lord, that you would remove the blinders from our eyes, the temptation to look at everything other than you. We ask that you would unblock our ears so that we can hear your still small voice calling to us. And we ask ultimately, Lord, that you would give us new hearts, not a heart of stone calloused, but heart of flesh, one that is sensitive to you to your leading, to your conviction. And we pray all of these things in your son's name and by the power of the spirit, amen. The most repeated command in the Bible, fun fact, trivia question, if you're out on a Friday night and somebody asks you what the most repeated command in the Bible is, you will now know. The most repeated command in the Bible is do not fear do not be afraid, fear not, don't fear. Which, if you think about it, a do not command sounds like it's a bad thing, right? It kind of makes fear sound like a bad thing. Whenever the Lord says do not do something, odds are it's not in our best interest to do that thing. Do not lust, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not covet. Those are things that it's, pro- it's in our best interest not to do those things, because those are bad things, those are sinful things, Whenever says, whenever God says, do not do something. It's probably a bad time. And oftentimes, biblical characters, whenever they fear something, it actually is a bad thing. Think of the first time, um, uh, the first time we see fear in the Bible is in the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve had just sinned. They uh, took of the fruit. They decided what to do. What was wise in their own eyes, and God, they hide, right? And um, God is walking in the garden, and he says, where are you? And Adam responds, he said, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden, and I was afraid, so I hid. It's the first time we see fear in the Bible. Fear led them, Adam and Eve, to hide. Abraham, Abraham goes to Egypt on a little excursion, right? And uh, when he gets there, he realizes that Sarah, his wife, is beautiful, and he is afraid That the Egyptians are going to see Sarah, they're going to want her, and so they're going to kill Abraham and take Sarah. So he decides to lie and say that Sarah was his sister, not his wife, right? Twice that happens in the Bible. His fear of man led him to lie. Speaking of Sarah, Sarah, when she was really, really old and these three guys came and they told Abraham that they were going to have a kid... Sarah responded famously, or infamously, laughing, right? She laughed, and then she gets called out for it. Hey, you laughed. And it said, Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, and she lied, and she said, I didn't laugh. Her fear, again, led her to lie. The Israelites, they're in the wilderness, they're wandering, they're about to go into the promised land, they send 12 spies, the famous story, right? They all come back, or yeah, all 12 come back. Two of them say, hey, we can do it, Joshua and Caleb, those are the good guys. Ten of them say, we can't do it. Why? Because they feared the people in the land. And because of that sin, they had to wait and wander in the wilderness until everybody else died off. Their fear led them to not be able to enter into the promised land. King Saul... It says when David's kind of rising to power, he's playing the harp, and it's clear that the Lord has anointed David and not Saul, and it says that Saul feared David, and so what did he do? He tried to kill him. He tried to uh, attack him. He tried to um, ruin his reputation. Fear led Saul to do all these things. Yet at the same time, the command do not fear is also followed by a command to fear, fear the Lord. So there's a a negative element, do not fear. That's the most repeated command in the Bible, which by the way, I always think it's funny. Whenever angels appear to humans in the Bible, their first thing is do not be afraid. I don't know about you, but if I saw an angel, I would be absolutely terrified. So it would just be like, you know, this glorious, divine, spiritual being appears before you. And they're like, hey, don't be afraid. It's okay, I would be be terrified. Maybe that's just me. Anyway, so there's do not fear, but then there's also this command to fear. We need to fear the Lord. Proverbs 9 says it. 9 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The preacher in Ecclesiastes says, This is the end of all things. All things can be summed up in this one statement fear the Lord and keep his commands. Moses says over and over again to Israel, Don't fear other gods, don't fear other people, fear the Lord. So clearly, in the scriptures, there are two types of fear. There's a good type of fear and a bad type of fear, or a healthy type of fear and an unhealthy type of fear. And here's the difference between the two of them. This is the the difference between the two of them. An unhealthy fear is a fear in something or someone other than the Lord. That's it, that's the only difference. An unhealthy fear is a fear in something or someone other than the Lord. Side note, when I say the word fear, what I'm not talking about is to be like scared of something like a spider or like public speaking or a haunted house or something like that. That's probably more like the word scared, like, oh I'm scared. You know, you jump when somebody scares you or whatever. I'm talking I'm talking like a deep seated like awe and reverence and terror that it leads you to do things. And an unhealthy fear is a fear in something or someone other than the Lord. Have you ever experienced a fear like that? Have you ever experienced an unhealthy fear, a fear of something or someone other than the Lord? Sometimes we might experience the fear of change, right, or loss. What does that lead to? If I, fear that I'm, if I fear something is changing, we actually don't really fear change, we just fear loss. If I feel that I'm losing something, whether it's a, 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 a job or a relationship or a person or a situation or some comfort in our life, when we fear that we're losing that, what does that lead us to do? That leads us to hold on more tightly to things. And when we hold on more tightly to things, we start to try to control everything. And when we try to control everything, it leads to anxiety. Why? Because the more we try to control things, the more we realize we actually aren't in control at all. Maybe some of us fear intimacy, vulnerability. We don't, want, we don't actually want somebody to know who we are, whether it's just a friend, a spouse, a relative, an acquaintance, whatever. We don't want actually, somebody to actually know who we are because then they might see what's really on the inside. So we, we fill our time up. We fill our stuff up. We mask ourselves. Maybe we have a fear of missing out, right? FOMO. And this is like kind of a joke, but also it's true, right? What does the fear of missing out lead us to? It leads us to a discontentment in the present. I want to be over there. I'm not content where I am here. So maybe some of us fear the future. What does the future hold? Again, this leads to trying to control things and to anxiety. And all our thoughts and our energies can sometimes, if we're fearful of the future, all our thoughts and anxieties and energy can be consumed with a world that will be, will be made new rather than a kingdom who, that has no end. And then finally, I think the most prominent, I know for, in fact, in my life, maybe for all of us, is the fear of people, fear of opinions of man. Not like, I fear this person is going to kill me, but more so, I fear like, what what does this person think about me? I, I want their opinion of me to be a good opinion of me. And so when we, what does that lead to? That leads to sometimes saying things that is not true of us, leads to sometimes doing things in our lives that we're like, why did I, why did I do that? Fear of something or someone other than the Lord leads to all kinds of unhealthy practices and all kinds of sins. So the question that we're going to try to answer today is what do we do when we're tempted with that that fear? What do we do when we're tempted to put our fear in in something other than the Lord? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Clearly, the other fears in life do not lead to life. They lead to chaos, ruin, anxiety. What do we do when we are tempted by something, to to fear something or someone other than the Lord? And that exact question is gonna be answered today in Nehemiah 6. The question is gonna be answered in a little bit after we talk about the text of Nehemiah. So hang tight, keep that thought of fear in the back of our heads. And we'll talk through Nehemiah 6 and 7 and then go from there. So, Nehemiah 6, we're in a series of Ezra-Nehemiah. Remember, again, it's one book. Nehemiah 6 comes after Nehemiah 5, which comes after Nehemiah 4. I know, this is why they pay me the big bucks, right? Uh, And the reason I point that out is because Nehemiah 4, there's an opposition Nehemiah brings the people back into the land, and Nehemiah 4, what happens? These other people of the land, they start to oppose Israel. They don't want Israel to finish the wall. So they start to attack Israel. They start to threaten Israel. And this is where we get the famous, Nehemiah gave him a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. Full transparency, I had to look up what the word trowel meant because I'm not a farmer. and Basically, it's just a small shovel. I found out. So I had to look up at that. So he has a sword in one hand, a trial in the other, because there is external opposition in Nehemiah 4. Well, last week we learned in Nehemiah 5, it's not just opposition from the outside. It's also internal opposition, internal conflict. We saw last week in Nehemiah 5 that the Israelites were doing the same exact sin and the same exact thing that they had just come from. Namely, they had been enslaving their own people. They were, to, they were in slavery to Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia. Then they get home, and what do they start doing? They start enslaving each other. It's not just external opposition. It's also internal opposition. And so that leads us to, which, by the way, I, want, I do want to double down on this. Tom mentioned this last week, and it was, it was so good. But I think it's really important that I want to repeat it. Sometimes we emphasize the threat that is on the outside. The world is the reason that people aren't coming to church anymore. The culture is going awry, and it's worse now than it ever has been. The threat is out there, so we have to be on guard, and we have to be careful. Is that true? Yes. But if we focus our energy and attention on that, and we neglect our internal unity in Christ, we are missing the point. That's why what was the most repeated command of the New Testament? Unity. The theme, maybe not command, but the theme of the entire New Testament is we are one in Christ, you can tell when people are of the world and not of Christ, and it's because there's a lot of division. There's a lot of arguments. There's a lot of hate. But the people of God, the church, is to be unified. So, Nehemiah 4, the threat is external. Nehemiah 5, the threat is internal. Nehemiah 6, he's doing a lot of work. Nehemiah is finishing the wall. The wall, are, wall is being built. And the enemies in the surrounding land, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the an- enemies in the surrounding land, they realize that all of their... Um, Attempts at stopping this are not working. Excuse me. So in Nehemiah 6, what do they do? They actually focus all of their energies on just one person, Nehemiah. So all of their energies are focused on Nehemiah. So there are, uh, because they think if we can get Nehemiah to fall, then the people will stop building. If we can tempt Nehemiah to do something that uh, maybe will we'll take him away or we'll get him to get killed or we'll do whatever, then the people will stop building. And so there are three temptations that Nehemiah faces, three temptations. We're going to look at the first one right here. And the first temptation is in chapter six, verses one through nine. So let's uh, read it and we'll, um, together and we'll, and we'll go from there. So, er, sorry, I'll read it. You guys just follow along. Chapter 6, verse 1, this is the first temptation. When Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that no gap was left in it, though at the time I had not installed the doors in the city gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me a message. Come, let's meet together in the villages of the Ono Valley. They were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing important work and cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Verse four, four times they sent me the same proposal and I gave them the same reply. Notice what Sanballat and Geshem did not say. They did not say, Nehemiah, we're gonna come to you because we wanna figure this out. They said, Nehemiah, you come to us. Why? They were going to harm him. Now the Ono Valley was a little bit away from uh, Jerusalem and a lot of people think that uh, on the way there, the road was very um, like narrow, and it was between a lot of valleys. And what would happen in narrow valley roads back in that time is that kings and people would get ambushed all the time. So uh, Nehemiah knows that this, this threat is for ne- Nehemiah to leave the place that God has called him, and for also for them to probably attack them. Maybe on the way there, they would ambush him. Maybe when he got to the Ono Valley, they would ambush him. Either way, the point is that Sanballat and Nehemiah are trying to get Nehemiah to leave the place that God has called him to. Nehemiah right now is in the center of God's will for his life. Anything less than that is compromise and sin. When God calls us somewhere, when God has a will for our lives, which remember is holiness, this is God's will for your life, Holiness. And when we are in the center of that will, you and I are exactly where we need to be, and anything other than that would be compromise and sin. He keeps going. Verse 5. So Nehemiah responds. He says, no way. Uh, Verse 5. Sanballat sent me the same message a fifth time by his aide who had an open letter in his hand. That's gonna be important here in a second, but let's keep reading. Verse six, in it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem agrees, that you, Nehemiah, and the Jews plan to rebel. This is the reason you're rebuilding the wall. According to these reports, you are to become their king, and you have even set up prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim on your behalf, there is a king in Judah. These rumors will be heard by the king, so come, let's confer together. okay, this is the fifth time Ballot says something. Now, a uh, little bit about ancient letter writing and delivery mail services, um, in case you were wanting to know, you know, this is a, a great time to learn. Uh, whenever somebody important would send a letter, they would have a wax seal and they would seal it, sh- it would be a scroll, roll it up, seal it shut, and it had your image, your emblem on it. The messenger, which is basically a cross-country runner, would run literally from village to village to village until he got to the location and the destination and the addressee of the letter. And if that seal had been broken, that means the person who received the letter knew that somebody had read it. And you could actually kill the messenger. That's where that phrase comes from, by the way. You could literally kill the messenger if the seal had been broken because it's like, no, this is just for me to read. Like somebody else must have read it. That's like how letter writing went then. If, this, if, if somebody sent a letter and it was not sealed, that means there's free game for anybody to read it and anybody to read it out loud. And oftentimes what would happen is the messenger, as he's running from village to village, city to city, to get to his destination, he would actually go into the city gates or the village gates and he would open it and he would read it out loud and then he would roll it up and he would run to the next one and he would do that all the time. So what Sanballat is doing As Sanballat is basically blackmailing Nehemiah. There's an open letter in his hand that says, hey, you are trying to rebel. You're only building this wall so that you can be king. And that message is being spread like wildfire through all of Israel. And eventually it's probably gonna what? Get back to the king, Artaxerxes. Remember Artaxerxes, he was the guy that said to Nehemiah, Nehemiah was his cupbearer, he said, hey, you can go back home, I trust you, here's some supplies. Imagine if that rumor got back to the king. Imagine how terrified you would be if you were Nehemiah. The entire nation of Israel is thinking that you are paying false prophets to prophesy on your behalf, and all the reason you're doing this, excuse me, is to, uh, to become king. And if Artaxerxes hears about this, you're, you're a dead man. Let's keep reading. What does Nehemiah do in response? Verse eight, then I replied to him, there is nothing to these rumors that you are spreading. You are inventing them in your own mind. For they were all trying to intimidate us. Underline or highlight or circle that word intimidate. In verse nine, they were all trying to intimidate us saying, they're going to drop their hands from the work and it will never be finished, but now my God, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah responds with maturity by saying, there's nothing to these rumors that you are spreading. You're inventing them up in your own mind. The point of the temptation, the first temptation is intimidation, right? Verse nine, they were trying to what? They were trying to intimidate them. Second temptation is verses 10 through 14. Second temptation is verses 10 through 14. Let's keep reading. I went to the house, this is Nehemiah. I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, I had to practice that a few times, who was restricted to his house. He said, this is a prophet, by the way, or a priest. He said, let's meet at the house of God inside the temple. Let's shut the temple doors because they are coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you tonight. But I said, should a man like me run away? How can someone enter the temple and live? I will not go. Verse 12, I realized that God had not sent him because of the prophecy he spoke against me. Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired so that I would be, verse 13, intimidated. Underline, circle, highlight that word, Intimidated. Do as he suggested, sin, get a bad reputation in order that they could discredit me. My God, remember Tobiah and ballot for what they have done, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the other prophets who wanted to, verse 14, intimidate me. The second temptation is again to intimidate Nehemiah. They wanted Nehemiah to compromise his own convictions for self-preservation. Uh, this, this false prophet, this, this false teacher came up to Nehemiah and said, let's go inside the temple and, and close the doors and try to save yourself. Now, Nehemiah is a man of God. He would know the word of God. And what does the word of God say about entering the temple, either unclean or if you're not a high priest? What would happen if you entered the temple in such a way? You would die. Nehemiah knows this. He says, am I able to enter the temple and live? How does he know that? The word of God. The false teachers that were trying to, the false prophets, the false teacher, mind you, these were Jewish religious leaders that were trying to tempt Nehemiah, took a bribe from Sanballat and Tobiah, and they tried to get Nehemiah to, 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 uh, to preserve his own life and compromise on his convictions. How did Nehemiah know that this was happening? Because he knew the word of God, right? Nehemiah, knew the false teachers and the false prophets. He knew that they were false teachers and false prophets by the fact that he knew the word of God. He discerned it. He realized it. There are false teachers, the New Testament says, among us today all the time. How do we know if they're false teachers or not? Not by educated guess, not by blindly following anybody, but by the word of God. And I'm not talking about just a prosperity gospel teacher or somebody who is like explicitly like it's obvious they're a false teacher. It says what in the New Testament that they will be dressed, they will be uh, wolves dressed in sheep's clothing, which means if you look at them, what do they look like? Sheep. It takes discernment. It takes the spirit of God. It takes the word of God to know who is a false teacher and who is a false prophet and who is not. By the way, we are not above that. We need to to plead with the Lord that he would give us his spirit of discernment so that if there's any disunity, if there's anybody who, who, is, who is going, our pastors included, all of us, if there's anybody who's going astray, anybody who's going awry, anybody who is saying things other than the word of God, we need to know, we need to discern. Nehemiah resisted and refuted the temptation of the false prophets by discernment and the word of God. Do we discern false prophets the same way? The point, again, of the second temptation was to intimidate Nehemiah. Point of the second temptation was intimidation. We get on to the third temptation. The third temptation is in verses seventeen through nineteen. Follow along as I read. During those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah. Remember, Tobiah is the bad guy, and Tobiah's letters came to them. Let's pause right there. Nobles of Judah. These are Israelites in the city, probably close to to, uh, Nehemiah, because Nehemiah was a noble, he was a governor, and so these are also nobles of Judah. And they're writing internally, they're writing letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah is writing letters to them. Probably not that great. Let's keep going, verse 18. For many in Judah, this is why they were writing letters. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, Since he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, son of Ara, and his son Jehohanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. In other words, let me translate. In other words, Tobiah had married an Israelite, and now, i.e. a mixed marriage, Tobiah is not an Israelite. Tobiah had married an Israelite, and now Tobiah is trying to slither his way in to the uh, elders, the nobles of Judah, in order to intimidate Nehemiah, in order to scare him, in order for him to stop the work. This is, again, another reason. We've talked a lot about marriages in Ezra and Nehemiah. This is another example of what happens uh, and why they respond so uh, forcefully against mixed marriages. Because of something like this. Now, <clears throat> verse 19. These nobles kept mentioning Tobiah's good deeds to me, and they reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to here it is again, underline it, verse 19, to intimidate me. They sent letters to intimidate me. Uh, but before we get to the resolution, a quick note on chapter seven. Chapter seven is another list. This is the exact same list as Ezra chapter two, the beginning of this book. Ezra chapter 2, the exact same list. If you want to print them both out and compare them, feel free. There's like two differences, but you know, may or may not be worth it. But the point is is that uh, uh, the people of God who started this journey from Ezra have now completed it. This book ended. So what started in Ezra 2 is now completed in Ezra, or uh, Nehemiah 7. And then as we go from Nehemiah 8 and on, we'll see the results, the resolution. That's That's uh, Nehemiah chapter 7. Now, let's get to the resolution of this intimidation, of all these three temptations, these three intimidation tactics of Nehemiah. The resolution is in verses 15 and 16. Follow along as I read. The resolution is in verses 15 and 16. The wall was completed in 52 days on the 25th day of the month, Elul. When all our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated. Underline that word. They lost their confidence. Why? They realized that the task had been accomplished by our God. That's the resolution. The resolution is that the intimidation of the enemies was turned on their own heads, and now they were the ones that were intimidated. Now, four times in this, one, two, three, four, five times in this passage, the word intimidated is used. Whenever a biblical author repeats a word over and over and over again, it's good to focus on that and say, like, what, what is it? Why is it? What is the point of all of this? And here's the coolest part. The word in, in Hebrew for intimidation is the same word as fear. The word for, in Hebrew for the word intimidation is the same word as fear. In other words, like, to make afraid. Or to put fear into. So if I, if I, you know, make you afraid, you're probably intimidated by me. I don't think I'm an intimidating person, but that would just be the result of it. In other words, what's the temptation? The temptation for Nehemiah is to put his fear in something or someone other than the Lord. The temptation for Nehemiah is to put his fear in something or someone other than the Lord. And yet all three times, Nehemiah, through his discernment and through the word of God, says no to the temptation. Why? Because he doesn't fear anything other than the Lord. It says in chapter 5 twice that Nehemiah fears the Lord. It says in chapter 7 twice that these people feared the Lord. Where did the fear of the Lord lead Nehemiah? Led him to victory. Led him to completion of the task that God had for him. Led him to holiness. It led him to not compromise his convictions for self-preservation. And what do the scriptures say that the fear of the Lord leads to? Proverbs is chocked full with fear of the Lord. Here's a few examples. The fear of the Lord, as we said earlier, is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Right living practice. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. This is, this is one I love. Better is a little fear of the Lord than great treasures that come with turmoil. By the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. The fear of the Lord leads to life. The fear of the Lord leads to honor, and these are just a few examples of what the fear of the Lord means. If you've ever, if you've ever been on a hike, or you've ever been near an ocean, or you've ever been on a high spot, you, I was just on a hike a little bit ago, and you get to the end of this mountain and you're looking down on the cliff. What comes over you? Fear. That is a healthy fear. Why? Because it is so powerful. You respect it. If I jump off, I'm going to die. If this wave crashes over me, I'm going to die. There is a fear that we have naturally with things that are so powerful, so holy. And the Bible is saying that that fear should be how we fear the Lord. Not, not terror, not hiding, but we know that the, that the Lord loves us. He, you are more known than, than you can ever imagine. You are more loved than you can ever imagine. And yet at the same time, God is likened to the sun where you, you, you love it. It's awe-inspiring, but the closer you get, the more dangerous he is. The closer you get, the more dangerous it is. And so this fear of the Lord leads us to worship. God, you are holy. You are set apart. You're not like me. I change all the time. My thoughts and sins are ever before me, yet you are holy. God, you give life. God, you take life. God, you go before me in all my situations, all my circumstances, Looking back, we can see God's hand in everything. He is there. That should cause us to have, one, this fear, this reverence, this awe, but also this joy. This joy that an all-powerful being, an all-powerful, all-glorious, perfect God would look at us and see his son. Who represented the fear of the Lord best in the Bible? Jesus. Whenever anybody asks who did this best in the Bible, the answer is probably Jesus, unless it's like sin or something. Um, Who delighted in the fear of the Lord the most? Jesus, right? Isaiah 11 says that the Spirit of the Lord will fill this individual, this Messiah figure, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Do we delight in the fear of the Lord? Do we delight in the fear of the Lord? Do we glory in the fear of the Lord? Is the fear of the Lord something that can be marked of or or do we fear what we can't control? Do we fear loss? Do we fear the future? Do we fear people? Do we in our fear try to self-preserve rather than give up our lives? Perfect love casts out fear, unhealthy, unbiblical fear, but the fear of the Lord leads to life. So the question is, what do you fear and where does it lead? Fear fear of something always leads to something else. When you fear change, you hold on and you try to control. When you fear this, this is the result. When you fear this, it leads to this. When you fear that, we we see it chock full in the Bible. We see it chock full in our own lives. What do you fear, and where does it lead? When 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 Jesus ascended, and all the disciples are looking up, they were afraid. Right? The disciples, they're marked by fear all the time, but the unhealthy fear, it leads them to disbelief. It leads them to disobedience, leads them to ignorance. But when they were looking up, he says, I'm going to send my helper for you. And guys, that promise is still true today. That when we say Jesus is Lord and we acknowledge, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved, not just once, but for like all the time, every day. And the spirit of the living God now enters in us and we can have a healthy fear. We can have a reverence, an awe, a joy. We are now new humans when the spirit of the Lord enters us. And this is is, is why we're just saying this over and over again. This is the gospel, right? We are Ankeny Gospel Church. This is the gospel, that Christ in you is the hope of glory, that pain does not have the final word, that fear does not have the final word. But when we fear the Lord... And we worship, him. that leads to life. That leads to awe. That leads to reverence. What do you fear, and where does it lead? Before we partake in communion, I, I want to, I think this question's, yeah, up on the screen. What do you fear, and where does it lead? Th- this was really challenging for me um, to think through and convicting for me to think through an answer. So, before we partake in communion, I want to just sit with this uh, question um, a little bit. And, and I, wanna, I wanna invite the spirit to bring something to our mind. Now, it, if we feel condemned when the spirit brings something to our mind, that's not a good response. Condemnation is not what the spirit of life brings. The spirit of life brings life. But if the Lord brings something to your mind that you are fearing other than himself, Lean into that. Lean into that and pray that the Lord would remove that. Ask the Lord to give you a healthy fear of himself. So I, I want us to do that right now, and, and maybe you even open your hands physically as an as a outward posture, uh, outward expression of an inward posture. So I'm going to give you a, a few minutes, and then um, I'm going I'm to pray, and we'll, we'll partake of communion. Father, we confess that we don't always fear you. And because of that, it doesn't lead to life and, and life abundant. But Father, we, uh, we fall on your mercy and we fall on your grace right now. Knowing that you, you delight to forgive us. You love it when we turn again to you. So Father, I pray right now that we would do that that you would give us a healthy fear of you, that, we would, that we, would, we, would walk, we would walk our lives out, we would live our lives out, not fearing people, not fearing loss, not fearing the future, not fearing anything other than you, Lord. It is you and you alone that we want to live for. God, give us that desire if we don't have it. Give us the posture of confession, of quick to forgive, because you forgive us. And Father, thank you for your word that says that the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. Father, thank you that that is in and through your son, Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for sending the spirit to us to give us that same spirit. Be with us and go forward with us, we pray. Amen.